Thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C., and the show is service of our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you are a meeting planner, if you have a presentation coming up or you're a speaker and you're trying to navigate things in this whole new world after COVID-19 where most of these engagements are online, visit SpeakerMatch.com. It's an online marketplace for you to get together, whether you're a presenter or a meeting organizer, and figure it all out, speakermatch.com. And speaking of figuring things out, boy, there's a lot to figure out now and a lot to unpack, especially in the last week or so. We come rolling right out of uh, COVID-19 and 40 million Americans being out of work with, with this horrible event in Minneapolis. And, of course, it's now spread nationwide, so we wanted to bring in somebody that that knows this backwards and forwards. My friend, Dr. Vanessa Weaver, is a diversity and inclusion expert. She has a background in clinical psychology and is the CEO of Alignment Strategies and DITV, Diversity and Inclusion Television. And she joins us from Maryland. And Dr. Weaver, I I just have to ask, how in the world did we get here? It's amazing. Well, I think it's a question that all of us are asking ourselves, but Clearly. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for uh, having me be in conversation with you about a topic that is so incredibly important to each and every one of us. And so I just uh, commend you very much for, um, you know, having the commitment and the moxie to to host this topic. Yes, ma'am. So how do we get here? Well, Bert, you know, some people want to think like we, we just got here overnight or we got here only because of the unfortunate murder of uh, Mr. Floyd, but I would contend that this this situation has been a long time in the making, and the, the Floyd uh, murder as well as that of Audrey, Mr. Audrey in um, Georgia, and uh, the, the woman, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, are, are the, you know, it kind of has ignited the situation we're in, but clearly... They, they weren't the cause of it. Dr. Weaver, it, to me, looking at it from the outside, um, it, it feels so much different this time. It, it seems like, for the most part, people are, are with one. There's a unity, a purpose this time around. It, it just feels bigger, and it feels like something might actually happen. I don't want to jinx it. But I feel uh, as scary as it is and as difficult as it is, I feel hopeful that we've turned a corner. And I wonder if you feel like it's different this time. Well, clearly, uh, I lived through the riots in the 60s after Dr. King's murder and uh, assassination, and also with the Vietnam uh, riots that we had. And in many respects, it is different, but at the core, it's very much the same. And let me tell you what I see different. Okay. After, after Dr. King's uh, assassination, many of the riots were principally with African-American individuals in their own community. And clearly what you see in the episodes that, that we were having, and I'm not, I don't want to call them riots, but in the, the upheavals we've had, they've been people of all different races and in all different locations. So previously those, those, those riots, as they were called, were predominantly in black communities 
and the rioters at that point were, were principally black or African Americans. But now you see uh, these uprisings in a diverse group of communities. I mean, yesterday they talked about Salt Lake City, and although the, the majority of the uprisings have been in the U.S., they were even some in Tokyo, so they've gone global. Tokyo, uh, London. So, and so the, the breadth of the uprisings are, are markedly different. And the participation of, of, of young white uh, 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 millennials and other people, Latina, Asian, you know, you see a mosaic of people who are protesting in all of these cities. And so that has been markedly different. And I think the third, the other third difference is the impact of social media. We can't really underestimate, underestimate the power that social media has played in this whole spread of the, the uprisings and upheavals. Diversity and inclusion expert Dr. Vanessa Weaver joining us on the podcast to talk about how much of an impact do you think that cell phone video is difficult as it was to watch? How much difference has that video and, and cell phone video in general made in the last several years to, to shine a, a harsh spotlight on, on these instances? Well, it has made a significant difference. Had we not had those images, multiple images, images from different vantage points, this situation might have gone as initially reported as a resisting arrest incident and somebody dying because of underlying medical you know, conditions. So the video brought a reality to us that was undeniable. But we can also say we've had other videos. We had a video of Rodney King beating in Los Angeles and the, the, uh, the police were vindicated or the, the uh, Mr. Castile's murder where his fiancée captured some of it on, on video and, and, that, and the police were acquitted, or in the, the case where the minister who, had gotten out, who was stopped and got out of his car and was going back to his car and was shot in the back and killed by a female police, all of that on video, and she was vindicated. So the video although critically important because it brought what was real in front of all of us, has not always been effective at generating the level of uh, reaction that we're experiencing now. And I think part of what has happened is that, number one, we had the video, which introduces an element of truth. We have lived in a political climate over the last four years, and really also during the Obama administration, where there was a lot of um, very conservative, um, you know, reactions to things. And so many communities of color have felt neglected, misunderstood, and mistreated, at least during, under this current administration. And so then you add that with the COVID situation, which all of us have been quarantined in our homes or under restricted kind of lifestyles. And so when you bring all that together with the reality that, you know, black and brown people are over-indexing in regards to the number of COVID-19 illnesses and death, when you bring all of that together, it just, it was just a massive explosion. And I think that's what we're experiencing. Dr. Weaver, you have made 
diversity and inclusion your life's work? Uh, you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, and, 30 and now years. 30 years, wow. And now, you know, you, you see this, you know, front page news everywhere all over the world. But but I'd like for you to rewind for me back to the beginning. What is it that made you say, this is what I want to do with my life? This is how I, Vanessa, want to make a difference? Well, as you had indicated earlier, I'm a trained clinical psychologist. I have a Ph.D. in that space. But very early on, as part of my training, while I was in graduate school, I had an opportunity to work with uh, urban uh, uh, urban populations in Cincinnati, Ohio, some of them from the Appalachian community and how they were interfacing with uh, blacks in those same areas. And they tended to be the poor, kind of neglected areas in Cincinnati. And I had a job of really bringing those two groups together so that they could create a better understanding between themselves about their culture and what what were ways what were the ways for them to get along most effectively in their community versus you know the number of fights that they would have and 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 really physical altercations and so I learned very early in my real early twenties um, the importance of bringing people who have diverse points of view together to kind of understand each other and come up with a collective way that they could live more harmoniously. And then I went from that and started my career at Procter & Gamble. And I had the responsibility to create what they then call a Women's Affirmative Action Initiative in their engineering division. And I had to, um, I was responsible for creating um, a strategy and an approach that ensured that the company could retain the women that they had recruited and had made such an investment in but also create cultures that allow for them to thrive and contribute to their optimal um, possibility because that benefited not only the women but the organization. And then to ensure that the men that were supervising them, and they were predominantly male supervisors at one point in time, understood what their unique role was in developing, uh, retaining, and advancing uh, women talent. So I learned very early the power of diversity and how that could change communities, the power of diversity, and how they could to really help drive business results, and the power of diversity in terms of helping people achieve their own personal aspirations. And so I became a believer very early because of the real experiences and the outcomes of those experiences that I was having in diversity and inclusion. So clearly down through the years, you've seen a lot of progress made so, uh, you know, uh, it must make your head spin when after all this progress that you've seen down through the years, it, it clearly in fits and starts and two steps forward and one step back. But then here we are in 2020 and the world is on fire and we have this sort of thing still happening. I mean, do you ever get discouraged? You must get discouraged sometimes. Well, I'm. I don't know if I, if I would use the term discouraged. I definitely get disappointed. But you know what I've been more disappointed in, frankly, Berg, is that for the last three years, there's been a complicity and an acceptance and an acceptance of a lot of the actions that were really adversely impacting communities of color. It's almost like 
we kind of lost our voice and we lost our beacon as a, as a country. And we tolerated actions that we know were not indicative of the heart and the, and the spirit and the history of this country. You know, for example, you know, uh, uh, imprisoning young immigrant children, separating them from their parents. Uh, so it's just been a myriad of actions that we have, this country has almost quietly accepted over the last three years that we would not have tolerated in years before. And so in many respects, although I don't um, support the looting, I don't support um, the attacks on the police, I am excited that some kind of way we found our voice as a country. And we have been willing to stand up and say, this is wrong. And there is no way that you could um, change or alter what we see and know to be true. And so I'm celebrating that in many respects, that we have, you know, the majority of these protesters, 98% of them have been uh, very honorable, very organized, and, and very peace-loving. And I celebrate the fact that we've had people we're willing to stand up and say no more. Dr. Vanessa Weaver, our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast, their background in clinical psychology and, and their long time uh, heading up of alignment strategies and diversity and inclusion television. You know, she's seen this from the inside out, and I have not. And I'll be the first to admit that I've got a lot to learn in, in this regard. And one of the things that, that I'd love to get some insight from you on is whether you feel like there is uh, a systemic issue with police departments across the country. Is there institutional racism here, or is it, uh, you know, as uh, the president's uh, spokesperson said a few days ago, this is a a few bad apples? In in other words, is this widespread, and is is it institutionalized? And if so, as somebody that works with huge corporations, huge groups, what needs to be done to change it if it, in fact, is there? That's a really good question, and we've been hearing over the last few few weeks and days this whole use of the term systemic racism, and I kind of smile because typically when we think about racism, we think about it on an individual you know, impact basis, and systemic racism speaks to the fact that there are some underlying societal issues and practices and policies that support racism in this country. And so the fact that that term is even being used, I think, is is interesting. Now, you asked the question about systemic racism in the police and policing. And all of the studies are showing that several uh, police departments have issues of disparate treatment for communities of color. And so it's not a surprise that we have some policing uh, organizations that have a practice of systemic kind of racism. And during the Obama administration, they, in fact, uh, had a commission that studied this, and they came out with a set of recommendations to really address the impact of systemic racism on policing. But I must tell you that, again, when you look at some of the causes that is contributing to type of t- to some of the anger and angst that people are feeling is not just related to the systemic issues in policing, but it's also the systemic issues that impact in communities of color. 
For example, if you look at COVID-19, the fact that uh, uh, a disproportionate percentage of people of color have died from this, the fact that a disproportionate number of people of color and women are impacted by COVID. And so there are a lot of factors, uh, uh, what we call racial disparities, that are real and true that this society needs to invest in. In fact, there's a group sponsored by Procter & Gamble entitled Take on Race. And they have a mission. I mean, it's, it's really, they're really fascinating. They have a mission to define and declare the role that corporate America should play on addressing issues of race, racial inequity in American society. And part of that is social justice, which policing falls under that. So is this a uh, is this a police brutality issue at its core, or does it go a whole lot deeper than that? Well, I don't think it's either or. I mean, clearly, uh, from the at least in my opinion, the videotapes indicate police brutality is more than brutality. I mean, it's, it's outright murder. I don't know any sure. other way to put it. Um, so I mean, so that's 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 clear, for, at least for me. But it suggests when you have four policemen, none of which spoke against each other, I mean, none of which attempted to pull the other off or make them stop, says that there's a culture that's existing in an organization that needs to be examined. Dr. Weaver, there are folks that listen to this podcast all over the country, and you mentioned Salt Lake City earlier. I lived and worked in Salt Lake City uh, for a couple of years. And, I and did, clearly, too. <laughs> and, and, and then, as you know, that's not a diverse city, and there are lots of places like that around the country. And, and for for folks that may live in uh, a less diverse culture than than you and I do, what would you want them to take away from this? What would What would you want to tell them? Well, when you look at issues that are, are impacting communities, communities of color, and then the general community, I think many of us share a sense of fairness and equity, no matter sure. what your race or ethnicity are or is. And when I looked at the, the people on the media yesterday from Salt Lake City, and it was a pretty significant crowd of people, I thought, oh, my goodness, how, how amazing is that? So I think... America has shared values, has a shared sense of fairness. I think the majority of people believe that, no matter what their race or ethnicity is, and they chose to stand up and speak. So I would like to tell the people of Salt Lake City, thank you for broadening this topic so it's not one that's just defined by people who are black or brown versus everybody else. But it becomes more of a recognition of our shared humanity, our shared values. And I share a commitment for equity and justice. Since you work with, with huge corporations like Procter & Gamble and, and other groups, you're used to teaching diversity and inclusion on a large scale. If, if someone were to wave their magic wand and tap you on the shoulder and say, all right, Dr. Weaver, I want you to work with police departments across the country on this issue, what needs to happen here to turn the corner so that this stuff just stops happening? Well, I don't know if it's a magic wand that would just literally make it stop happening, but clearly we need to significantly reverse the tide. And the Obama uh, administration had, a, I think, like a 10 or 12-point plan 
that can, uh, policing uh, organizations could follow in terms of addressing issues of policing uh, with communities of color. And what I would recommend, and we do work with police, uh, police organizations, for example. We're working with a big one here in the Metro Washington area. What I would recommend is that, is that policing organizations increase the awareness of their police, their uniform police, as well as the staff that supports them on, on, on those unconscious biases that impact the kind of decisions they make and the choices they make around how they treat certain, or certain people in certain groups. I think that's critically important. The second recommendation I would make is that, and it's really the, the first step, is that the leadership in those policing uh, organizations make a real commitment that their organizations will change. I mean, a lot of times what you've gotten is a lot of lip service around, you know, this is, we're going to, you know, mold ourselves differently or we're going to require people to be more responsive. But the policies, practices, and procedures inherent in those policing organizations really don't change. And so it, it's not a real culture change and a culture shift which is, is necessary. The third, the third element that I would recommend to policing institutions is that they build reward and recognition systems in play that celebrate and acknowledge the behavior of those police when they're doing it right and that also hold those policemen when they're not doing it right accountable. And I think it's so important to reinforce the majority of police who are trying to do the right thing because typically what happens is that all of the attention is, is, is placed on that police, those few police who are not doing their policing correctly, and they get all of their attention. It's like the empty wagon makes the most noise, right? And sure. those police that are doing well sometimes don't feel like they get the benefits or the recognition for when they're doing things well. So I would say make sure, number one, you have accountability in place, i.e. you have some, some muscle behind what it is you're requiring your people to do, but make sure you have reward and recognition systems in place that adequately and appropriately award people who are in the right spot and deal swiftly and and justifiably with those who aren't. I was very, uh, very heartened to see all the coverage that the sheriff up in Flint, Michigan got over the weekend when he came out and, and spoke very calmly to the protesters he had all those guys take off the riot gear, and he marched with them. And as a consequence, Flint, which is a pretty rough town, uh, had an absolutely peaceful protest that day. And I thought it was great that he got that attention. Hey, I want to ask you about something you said, and I know our time is short here, but you mentioned a term, unconscious biases. Talk to me about that. What is that, and what can we do about it? Well, it's, it's, it's become a pretty popular term, right? And unconscious biases are those triggers that we have in our, in our brain that impact the choices that we make around how we respond and treat other people. You know, so everybody has a bias. If, if you have a brain, you have biases because all unconscious biases aren't bad. Some of these unconscious biases we have protect and sustain us. But the majority of these unconscious biases get in the way and create what we call blind spots. And those blind spots uh, impact the kind of judgments we make on people. So for example, one of the common biases and one of the most popular biases is confirmation bias. 
And confirmation bias is is generated when people seek out experiences of other people who hold a similar belief, who don't challenge the belief that they have, who confirm how their view of the world. And so there are a series of about, it's a family of about six families of unconscious biases. And under those six families of unconscious biases are subfamilies. And so there are about 17 major unconscious biases that, um, that are very influential in how we view the world, how we view others, and how we make decisions. And it's important for individuals to become aware of those of, of which uh, unconscious biases impact them and their decision making. We just did a work with a, a major company, and we were working with their top leadership. And the focus of that session was to help the leaders identify what are their what are their blind spots, what are those triggers, what are those unconscious uh, biases that trigger their reaction to diverse people or, or different situations, and how do they typically react and respond? Because it's important to know how one typically reacts and responds so that you can be choiceful and intentional in disrupting that pattern. You're a very, very uh, thorough and thoughtful lady, and you've been very generous with your insights tonight. Um, I want to touch on one final thing, and that is that uh, look, clearly, uh, politically, you are not a fan of the guy in the Oval Office right now, and, and I can understand why. I would just like to, as a devil's advocate, say that there are probably lots of folks listening to this podcast who are conservatives who absolutely abhor what they saw in the, the George Floyd video and in, in many of these other instances. And and I wonder what, what message you might have when it comes to inclusion for, for folks who are listening who are conservative politically, because many of them would be the first to say, look, I, I think this is awful and I want to do anything I can to stop it. Well, I, I first like to say that um, the issue for me is not whether I'm a fan of the person in the white house or not. Uh, but you know, I am a, fa- a fan of fairness and justice. And I'm also a, a fan of understanding how we can bring together all of our differences as a community, as a workplace, to really make our organizations work. So I'm a real fan of that. And, and I will tell you that most of my clients are conservative. And they're, they're trying to figure out how do we, even with my conservative ideology, Vanessa, how do we bring this all together? so we can create win-wins for everybody. And so I'm not anti-conservative. In fact, I respect a lot of elements of the conservative position. But, uh, and what I really appreciate for my often conservative clients is really their commitment to figure out how do we take the diversity, how do we leverage the diversity of all the people that work together in our organization so that they add value to the customers that they serve that they provide opportunities for all of their employees to achieve their own personal career aspirations and that they help the organization be successful. And I appreciate that so much. I, uh, Dr. Weaver, I've always felt that 
people have so much more in common that that brings us together than pushes us apart. And that's one of the things I've always appreciated about you and and the time that we've spent together and what I've learned from you. Are we going to be okay? Are we going to come through this thing together? We're definitely going to come through it together. And and my hope, Bert, is that in coming through it together, we really make a, uh, make a commitment to really have sustainable change that really enhances all of our lives so that it's not a win-lose proposition but a win-win proposition. I think that's a hope that we can all agree on. Dr. Vanessa Weaver from Alignment Strategies and Diversity and Inclusion Television. Thank you for spending time with me. I appreciate you so very much. Thank you. And for anyone who would like to connect with me, they can go to www.alignmentstrategies.com. Drop me a note and I'll definitely get back to you. That she will. Dr. Vanessa Weaver, and that's alignmentstrategies.com. For the Big Time Talker podcast and our sponsor, Speaker Match, I'm Burke Allen. Thank you so much for listening.